Brandon? Good morning. Ah, how are you, bud? I'm really good, dude. How are you? I'm good, man. It's uh, it's weird to hear good morning because it's like almost one o'clock here. Yeah. Um, I forget I forget about the time change sometimes. <laughs> I talk to my family and shit back home. So, um, yeah. How is it out there? You guys got some snow, huh? We did. It melted off in the same day. But you know what's funny is, so we wait. My family waits every year to go to Apple Hill until November. Mm. So we see all the Apple Hill pictures start appearing around early September and everybody's posting, oh, we're all at the kids with the Apple Hill. Yeah. When we get up there in November, number one, there's hardly anybody there. And number Mm. two, the whole uh, orchard across the entire uh, area is also harvesting pumpkins. So there's mm. all sorts of pumpkin apple cheesecakes and apple pumpkin spice of this, <laughs> and, you know, and you get there and it's hit or miss. We've had out of the six years I've gone with them, two years had weather. This year happened to be one. And so we woke up, pack up the car early and hit the road. We know we're facing snow. It's coming down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just got a forerunner not too long ago. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fucking give this bad boy a move right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, let's test it out. Yep. And it took six and a half hours to make yeah. the 90 minute drive to Apple Hill. But God, we, we did get to hit all three spots that we go. Uh, we used to go to four, but once the girls got a little older, it was funny. They did the train ride at one. I think they were 15 or 13. I hope somebody at least got like close to diabetes from all like the cheesecakes and shit. I mean, oh yeah, it's not it's not worth it if we're not like bordering on like insulin comas. You know, it's so true. And you know what's funny? You say that because last year we went and I got I always get two pumpkin pies to take home because that's my <laughs> that's yeah, my naturally, thing. of course, yeah. So they gave me two pumpkin pies last year, and I fucking drove all the way home. And inside the pumpkin pie box were these apple pie crumble things, and I don't eat oh. apple pie at all, really, in that form because it's like. I just, I'm not a big cooked apple guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I was really pissed off. <laughs> it was like, I wanted to, like, find their Yelp and shit. I was like, I'm going See, full Karen right now. I'm, I'm the opposite, dude. Put, give me anything with, like, I don't know, enough sugar and, uh, like, cream cheese, and I'll probably eat it. <laughs> you know? That's like my pit bull. <laughs> yeah, I think we, I think me and your pit bull might have Ica. Yeah, that's Frankie, and you are uh, Jared DeCiano, and it is really good to speak with you, sir. I'm going to hit the record button here a moment ago. Right, good so, deal, man. So we're rolling now, uh, and tell me why we're rolling. Tell me, just tell us who you are. Tell us where you came from. Tell us what you're doing now. Just just step us through a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I'm Jared DeCiano. I grew up in uh, grew up in Reno, Nevada, well, Sparks, Nevada, Um I say Reno in Florida now because it's it's easier to explain than you know than yeah, Sparks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the question always comes like, how far are you from Las Vegas? Um, About yeah, as far as up, Florida, pal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Im- imagine imagine like West Palm Beach to uh, I don't know, like Jacksonville, north of Jacksonville. It's probably about the same, probably about the same drive. Um, but yeah, I man, I grew up in Sparks. I went to Reed High School. I don't know the history of it. it's like. The history of it seems like kind of mundane now until we get into, um, you know, like my my later teen and like early 20s when I started doing, you know, yeah, got, yeah. Got, got myself into drugs and a bunch of, you know, a bunch of ugly shit and um, 
was blessed with an opportunity to come to South Florida. And I've been here for God, since October of 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been living down here and, you know, I've been sober ever since and just opened a treatment center with, uh, four guys that I got sober with. Wow. You know, were those those four guys here in Reno or were they in Florida? No, no, no. These were guys, one of them's from, one of them's from LA, one of them's from West Virginia Uh and the other one's from New York. Okay. So Um, they kind of came from all around and found you in the same spot. Yeah. The, the treatment center that I went to down here was, uh, it's called the watershed. It's not open anymore. Hmm. Um, but yeah, we all met there and like we went, you know, we did their, you know, the detox and, and all their like levels of care and went to the halfway house and, we ended up all working at the same, uh, at the watershed together for a little while. And like, yeah, three and a half years ago, Kevin and I, Kevin's the CEO of the company, um, that, that we, that we started, um, Kevin and I kind of started talking about, you know, what if we did kind of, what if we, you know, what if we did our own thing? Like we had some different ideas about how to more effectively, um, you know, treat and like benefit people that might not align with, the 12 steps and, you know, Mm -hmm, AA mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, you know, how, how do we reach these kids that aren't going to be reached in that fashion? And like, we came up with this model of, uh, we've been talking about harm reduction, right? The, the, the facility is called harm reduction center. Okay. And um, that's cool, man. Yeah. It's just, uh, it scares some people every now and again, cause you, the first word is harm. So people get a little bit bugged out by that, but it should fucking um, scare them because what they're doing is indeed harm. Um, you know, it's about three years ago. Yeah. We kind of had this idea that, you know, how could we do it differently and like, what could we do differently and how basically like, how do we get it going? You know, mm-hmm. um, it started in, in, in his living room, uh, of his apartment and we come, you know, started writing up business plans and staff schedules and we're able to sort, you know, source the necessary, you know, funding from, you know, fa- from his family and stuff. And, and, uh, yeah, man, here we are two years, you know, we've been open for two years now, a little over two years. Um, and we've had about 400 people come through our program. And, wow. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy when you think about it. Like I, you know, I used to drive up and down, you know, Wells Avenue looking for, you know, looking for heroin, yeah. um, <laughs> not even, not even 10 years ago. And like, and I'm, you know, I'm in a position now, like where I'm pulling people I'm out trying, of that yeah trying to help people you know that's what it's all about so um basically like i so i had listened to i follow you on facebook brandon and i had listened to some of your podcasts and um i don't know i've been trying to connect with you know with people back home for a long time um every every time i i get updates you know quite often about you know the i don't know the drug problem just getting worse and worse um in my hometown and um there's been like some opportunity to like try to, you know, talk to some people about how can, you know, how can we get involved? How can we help? Um, and it just, you know, the right time hasn't come. I figured, you know, I, you're on the podcast. I say, yeah. hey, this might be an opportunity for me to like weasel my way into Reno, Nevada again. Cause like I say, I say that like jokingly, but yeah, um, but that's a, that's a goal. I can hear it. Yeah. You know, you gave the, me, you a, know, the whole, the whole reason I did the, the whole reason I, I wanted to get sober and like stay sober was so I could help kids like obviously across the country, but like, um, at home, you know, yeah, my hometown is very important to me, man. It's like, yeah. it, it's, it's all for not if I can't reach, you know, if I can't reach those kids that, 
that are driving up and down Wells Avenue looking for dope. Still just looking like for I, the you same. Know. You know, you're yeah. making a ton of sense, man. And, and you gave me so much that we can unpack about you because the first thing is that you're the right guy for the job. I mean, what you're doing, what you're describing, I can't think of a better person. I mean, I know that you were running around doing hairball shit. That's what, that's what Miles used to call it, hairball shit. Yeah. yeah. Fucking yeah. kids doing hairball shit again. <laughs> I know you were out there doing that hairball shit, and that's kind of important to the journey of helping other people find their way yeah. out of that because yeah. hairball shit is going to find us. That's it's what it does. It, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you're talking heroin or sex or whatever you're talking yeah. about. I mean, anything you, anything you're 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 turning to to escape uh, yeah. is, is something that needs help. And and man, Reno, Nevada is a good place to start. This this is a place where there's a lot of wholesomeness here. There's a lot of really good stuff, uh, good mm -hmm. people, good neighbors, good community, and there's just sort of this ever growing infection of of opioid addiction yeah. here in this area. Yeah. I couldn't imagine a better person to come back home and just start putting boots on the ground to, yeah. to help that fight. I would be a part of that in any way possible. I, I'm yeah. flattered that you would say so, anything about it with the podcast. Uh, well, yeah, we're trying, man. I mean, we, we have designs on, you know, uh, kind of replicating the facility that we have in, in, in Boynton beach, Florida, mm -hmm. and like taking it up to, you know, North Carolina and West Virginia, and then moving slowly moving out West. Cause the, you know, the ultimate goal is to, is to, uh, is to get, you know, get more help out West. There's a ton of places up and down the East coast that, um, you know, they all offer great treatment. Um, but I think, I think the West coast is one area where, um, besides California, it's like, I know when I was looking for help, um, or I, I take that back when I was forced to look for, for help, um, uh, you know, there wasn't, there like, really wasn't a, a place for me to go close to home. Yeah. Um, I mean, on, you know, obviously now my perspective has changed a little bit and I, I don't, I think had I, had I been able to find a place at home, I don't think I would have done very well. Cause I, you know, I could have left at any time and just you know, I was too close to yeah. be able to just go right back down the street. I needed to get to, I needed to get out of the state. That was like, and that's really how Reno's getting them, man. That's really how mm -hmm. the opioids are sticking here is because it is small town neighbors, mm -hmm. good people, loving good people. And when they go down wrong paths to try to help them and help them and help them. Yeah. It, you know, there's so much that dynamic there that you can't get away from. They've got too much access to themselves yeah. in their yeah. own environment. So I, mm -hmm. I think you're definitely speaking something there. And a, a program that maybe can help them manage that could be uh, something. I mean, it sounds like that's kind of what you're doing is helping people in local areas manage their access. Yeah. I mean, our goal is to, I mean, our, our goal is to Florida has a huge indigent population right now because of the opioid epidemic. I mean, there's been, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids that have come down here specifically to South Florida to, uh, you know, to get sober. They've gone through, you know, countless treatment centers and, um, have, you know, unfortunately found their way back out and, and, um, you know, they lose their insurance and they're not able to get help again. And they're, they're kind of left at the mercy of like state funded facilities, which don't really offer much in the way of, uh, actual treatment. Um, and like, they're right back out on the street before they know it. So, um, you know, we have an opportunity down here to, you know, obviously help these, help the indigent population down here with, 
real, like effective treatment, mm-hmm. um, long-term. Um, but also like we, you know, we do, uh, everybody that I talk to on the phone, like if it's an admissions thing or something like that, um, is my, my first recommendation is like, get out of your environment. I, I hear, I've heard it time and time again in the years that I've been sober. It's like, we got to change people, places and things. And, um, that was the, that was the one thing that I was holding on to for a long time before I kind of accepted that I was going to be in Florida for, for a while. Yeah. Um, was, yeah, man, uh, going people, places and things going back home and trying to like, trying to flesh it out up there on my own with, uh, you know, my family who, you know, again, like loving people, like very, mm-hmm. very intelligent, but they don't quite understand. They don't understand like the, these like strange, like mental blank spots that I experience when I'm yeah. having like cravings or, um, yeah, yeah. you know, when the obsession is there to like, to get higher, to drink or whatever. Um, it's not something that they fully understand. And it's very difficult to causes a lot of like, misunderstanding resentment well and it's such a personal experience right Mm -hmm. you're you're dealing with something where um you're stepping through this thing and in a given moment that craving is being triggered by any number of surrounding factors and and you're hitting on a couple of things too because there does come a point where the person who's become an addict is too far away to be exposed anywhere. It's like the first thing you want to do is get them away from that environment. Like you're talking about. And then it's like step two is you want to try to get them back with family because I'm sure that the Mm -hmm. rate of success increases if people are around those loving people. But if the family isn't equipped for the job, that's where you gotta have third party people who are, I mean, a facility like yours, I, I can really appreciate because just knowing you, I know that when the fact that you're still these kids come in off the street, probably some of these people are 35 and 40 years old. Right. But, Mm -hmm. but they're living in a place where they got stuck at 17, 21, 25, whatever it was. And now they're going to a place where somebody is going to love them like family, but hold them accountable like a stranger. Yeah, absolutely. It's really like the big, like the biggest piece of the puzzle in my experience has been like the story. Has been the Jared, phone. hold on. We're going to do something funny here. My daughter's calling me. We're going to add her in. <laughs> All right, on. cool. Good morning. Oh, hello. I have a question. Hang on. Abby? Hello? Hey, are you there? Yes, I'm there. Are you there? Yeah, we're here. You're on the podcast with my friend Jared DeCiano, so you got to ask your question now. Okay. Well, I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, I have a question. What are you doing on Wednesday the second at around three thirty p.m., Brandon? Wednesday the second at three thirty p.m. Let's see. Yes, because my car is going to be in the shop, and I need a ride to work. Oh yeah, I can do that. I'm okay. wide open, so here's what you got to do: put it in your <laughs> calendar and send it to my email, tonicbooking at yahoo. Oh my God! I just remember. <laughs> Oh my God, are you kidding me? Well, as Jared and I were just talking about, my memory is shot to shit due to going up and down Wells Avenue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Fine, uh, but I if always I'm being ans- recorded, you have to cut this out. Because yeah, I, we I'm will. in a frazzled mood. <laughs> well, I always answer no, I, when it's you guys. I wouldn't answer it for I, anybody else. I think it's nice. I, I like the abrasive. It's, it's, it's <laughs> you were producing a show down in Carson, and you had me stop at like... 
uh, I don't know, the Oasis club or club underground maybe, and like get a bunch of microphones and equipment uh-huh. and drive it back and like drive it down to Carson and help you set up and, and all that stuff. <laughs> and, uh, I like, dude, this is the coolest fuck. This is the coolest thing. Like I'm, I'm involved man. I'm like behind the scenes and like the music business right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, unfortunately the, the music stuff never like really took off all the way, all the way for us, but we got close enough, I think to have like some of the experience and, and, uh, walk away better for it you know yeah i think that's one of those things it's like if you could if you wanted to push it you could have pushed it but already kind of where you were going and where you were at you know again going up and down wells avenue that's where some of that leads sometimes you know i the funny thing about that is that didn't start until i was like i didn't i didn't take i actually didn't have my first like drunk until i was 19 like oh, I mean, you remember right. I, was like, I was like i was like straight edge i remember that. that's stuff. true and uh yeah man i i didn't i really didn't have my first like drunk experience until i was 19 yeah. but i can remember like after that uh no you know, i'm not gonna say like the you know the obsession was on me you know right away but of course um, yeah but it creeps uh, up on a young man, you know, because it's not really, it's not the stuff. It's not the drinks or the drugs that you're really emphatic with. It's at the start. What happens is that stuff creates social uh, settings where everyone is just a little less inhibited. Mm -hmm. And man, there's a lot of smoke and confusion that the devil starts to work in those clouds. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just the, the progression happened so fast from like when I think about it from 19 first drink at you know, first drunk experience at 19 to being in my first like detox for heroin at uh, 22 was like those, you know, those few years in between there was like a whirlwind. You know what I mean? Um, very, very vague uh, memories of like, uh, you know, party stuff like that. Really, once I once I discovered opiates, like. I became kind of a hermit. Like I, yeah. you know, I, I like to, I, I like to stay in my room pretty much and just do my own thing. And yeah, we don't do heroin in groups really. That's yeah. Not, as long as I mean, if you find yourself doing it, heroin in groups, you're probably in a place that's much <laughs> further along in your yeah, addiction. Yeah, we, call that, we call that the trap house down here. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, um, so, and it sounds now and you're in Florida. So you've gone from, kind of one hurricane area of the country, Reno, Nevada, to another Good hurricane God, area of Florida. Different I, hurricanes so altogether. With like th- this year, this year especially, um, I, you know, I had never dealt with a hurricane my entire life. Um, you know, didn't know how to prepare for it, nothing like that. People, people freak out down here when there's a, Floridians have a very weird way of dealing with it. So, if it's a category, if it's anywhere from like a category one to a category three, nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. Oh, wow. It's just like a little bit of rain, um, some wind, like, yeah, you, your fence might blow down, but like, it's not a big deal. As soon as it gets to like a category four or five, no grocery stores have water. No grocery stores have paper towels. They, <laughs> it's a pandemic um, every single time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. So I'm thinking this year, cause we just, you know, we had to, we dealt with COVID down here and, uh, um, I'm, it's like coming right up on hurricane season. I'm going, I, <laughs> this would be the worst possible scenario. If like everybody in Florida had to evacuate. Cause right now it's like a hot spot, or at the time it was like a hot spot for COVID. Yeah. It's just like, we're going to, we, we are going to contribute to herd immunity single-handedly. Wow. Um, 
just by evacuating from a hurricane. Thank God we didn't get one, but um, yeah, that, that was on my mind. That would have been uh, disastrous. And is that season kind of over now? Kind of. We're on the tail end of it. We just had a tropical storm come through. That was, uh, I don't know, it was pretty nasty, but it wasn't anything. I think the worst thing I've seen so far down here, like natural disaster wise, was Hurricane Irma. Okay. Um, uh-huh. I think back in 2017, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was bad. That was like trees, you know, trees blown down, houses somewhat destroyed, um, mm-hmm. you know, no, no power for six, seven days. Wow. Um, yeah, that, that was a rough one. That yeah. was a rough time. And how does the, I mean, how does the center deal with that? What so do you what guys we, have to time, do? At the time I worked for another program, uh, in Juneau beach and, um, we, so we evacuated the first, the first hurricane we evacuated to, uh, the West coast of Florida. That was during hurricane Matthew. Mm-hmm. And then during hurricane Irma, we actually evacuated everybody to like Louisiana and like half the staff evacuated to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, that, that was, a uh, that was wild because the projections on that storm was that it was so wide that it was just going to traverse the entire state of Florida and like, you know, they're talking oh. about the news, like your children are going to die and your pets are going to die. Oh, just, you know, basically, like basically get out of here. So, um, we drove my, uh, we drove my brother's old 2009 Subaru that smelled like, um, I don't know. It's more like a Vietnamese brothel just filled with cigarette smoke and cigarette smoke and like, you know, stale energy drinks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, drove it up to North Carolina, broke down at 2 a.m., had to change, had to change the alternator and the battery in the parking lot of a advanced auto parts at seven o'clock in the morning. I mean, it was just, that was the time that was, we had, like, it, it, it was miserable going through it, but like the stories that, that emanate from it are, uh, they're they're unforgettable you know yeah man i mean and that's that's another one that's kind of the story of you i mean you're you're, for whatever season you've been in in your life the stories just keep happening big Uh, yeah i really think that it's possible that a center uh, that you're a part of goes national and goes that distance because you are the kind of guy that'll put the the work in to make that happen yeah We've, uh, the four of us have like myself, Kevin, Connor, and Sam have been, Uh like I said, here since it was just a seed. And, um, you know, there's the, you know, the first two years of it. Well, yeah, really up until, up until about six months ago, it was, you know, working seven days a week, pulling overnight shifts. I mean, everybody hands-on, like very, very involved. Doing it. Um, Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, we're fine. We're finally able to get like a little bit of separation. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my girlfriends wanted to headbutt me more than more than a handful <laughs> of times because, like, you know, my phone won't stop ringing, and you know, two yeah. o'clock in the morning, like, fires to put out. So it's definitely been trying on everybody. Um, but the reward is so great, man. Like, the reward is you deal with you deal with some shitheads occasionally. Um, but man, it's like you have, I, I've had kids come to me and like make amends to me when they're going through their steps. Like they're, you know, they're 12 steps of, of AA and, um, you know, like make amends for being, you know, being an asshole when they were yeah. early in sobriety. And I'm just like, dude, this is, I get goosebumps. Like makes me want to cry. I'm like, this is what it's all about. Having like spiritual experiences and mm-hmm. continuing to like, to continuing to, um, 
change your value system, right? Like the, the things that you once placed value on no longer hold value for you anymore. Um, and it's a beautiful process to watch. It's, it's like to be a part of it uh, personally myself to have like gone through it, but now to like watch other people go through it is like, this is unbelievable. This is the, um, this is like what unconditional love like this is like the, this is the universal language that we can all speak um yeah. we just don't know how to tap into it like when you start to see people be able to tap into it it's like wow this is uh this is beautiful yeah man you're you're really making a lot of sense and and when it comes to substances it's very hard to still the mind on substance yeah. and and once you've exposed the mind to substances it's it becomes increasingly more difficult to still the mind and yeah, stillness man. is in imperative when it mm -hmm. comes to uh, those spiritual experiences you're talking about because we're not you know I think people sometimes misunderstand when these conversations become spiritually moving like that mm -hmm. that it has something to do with like you know believing in a a phony thing or something that somebody's gonna push something on them the fact is is that your your own consciousness is giving birth to notions yes. of yourself that yes. are going to improve you. And mm -hmm. it's it's just so necessary in life, let alone sobriety. Yeah. yeah. It's um it really is like a uh, a drastic like upheaval and like rearrangement of uh our emotional like value system, you know? Yeah. Um there was, you know, I say it to kids all the time. I have sponsees that I, you know, that I meet with regularly and like, you know, work the steps with and stuff. And that's something I say to them all the time is is um you know, it's not that we're like when I'm out there ripping and running like and using and stealing and, you know, all this all this bullshit. I'm not like a, am a bad I'm not a, I'm not a bad person like at my core. Inherently, I'm not a bad person. Like the values right. that I was instilled with as a child to be, you know, kind and generous and loving and, and tolerant and accepting and patient and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, those things, those things aren't gone for me. I simply have like subverted those. I've subverted that moral integrity to accommodate the relief that I get from a, a substance, you know? Wow. Um, and that became, that became like my, that became like my motive for doing everything and anything that I did. Like if it didn't, there was for the most part, like if I didn't have heroin to like wake up to, I, it, it dictated whether I took a shower, whether I brushed my teeth, whether I mm -hmm. went to work, whether I even got out of bed some days, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and like this, the lifestyle that I have now is, um, obviously like far more rewarding and like less stressful, but I, I look back on, I look back on those times and I think like I was so disconnected from like source, right? Like whatever that universal energy is that, that, uh, yeah, that's that driving the collective. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like that. I, I was so disconnected from like fellowship and source and like anything, anything humane, um, I was, you know, I, I didn't want to live anymore. I wasn't going to take action to like end my life, but I was kind of, had yeah, the mindset but you didn't of, care well, if it ended on its own. If, yeah. yeah. If uh -huh. it happens, if it and happens, you didn't it mind happens. putting yourself in situations where yes. it could happen very easily. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's funny. So I'll tell you something. I I've never had much of a substance abuse, uh, addiction that I would define. Right. I, mm. I developed some dependency on marijuana, but it wasn't until late in my thirties uh, as mm -hmm. a coping mechanism for uh, my the loss of my vision in my eye and and gotcha. sort of everything that came with that, and and I don't 
I, I can't now for a variety of other reasons anyway. So I never really had that. But man, I am probably an addict of the of the most uh uh I don't know what the word is when you just can't, won't, you know, whatever that is, let it go. Yeah. But but the addiction that I carry with me forever. And for some reason I cannot seem to shake. And it's a, it's a constant practice to shake is more just Mm -hmm. if I enjoy it, give me more of it. So, I mean, I would eat beach hut deli four times a week for four fucking years. Anybody who knows how much that place costs knows what an addiction that in and of Mm -hmm. itself was. Right. And that was just one. And then it was like within beach hut deli, I was addicted to playing $10 and quarters on NBA jams for like three hours. You know what I mean? Like it's one thing after another, (laughs) those same ways. Uh, and you got to get a little action while you're eating a sandwich. I get it. That's right, man. And then, and that, <laughs> that same driving force, right. That would take me to roulette tables. And, mm-hmm. and, and this is what kind of became interesting too, was I never really developed an addiction to gambling when it was time to stop gambling. I just stopped gambling. It really wasn't yeah. what I was addicted to. And there was the creation of the energy, that thing mm-hmm. you're describing when you're in it, when you're up and down Wells Avenue or before that or after that, yes. when you're in the parking lot of the Grand Sierra in a big melee with 30 guys and it's just chains and, <laughs> and brass knuckles everywhere as far as the eye can see. Whatever hairball shit we were into, uh, we, were, we were ready to just rise above it and, and, and take it on, right? Uh, uh-huh. I sort of lost my train of thought getting into the, the well, colorfulness. You yeah, you you remembered the uh, yeah the Grand Sierra. Oh, that was the yeah. bane yeah. of my like teenage existence. <laughs> <laughs> but and you know that's just it. So it's like I would go to these roulette tables specifically to conjure up this energy, right? And that's sure. that's just another example of what comes with it. And so that's why it's like for the addicted person, what I'm finding for me at least is you've got to identify what it is that's driving that. One mm-hmm. of the factors was it was like I met my wife and suddenly I had a family. And I mean, any desire I had to like get dressed up and go like out into the world for the sake of mm-hmm. like doing anything unproductive, just I lost that entirely. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's the thing for the addict is to look at what it is. What are you running from? Sure. I was running from family and community and fellowship not just disconnected as you were describing, but full on running from it because, yeah, it, you know, I was annoyed by it because I was a white privileged teenager. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? Like that's kind of, of what that shit looks like, but <laughs> it caught a whole fucking generation of us and turned us yeah. into uh, people that we don't, we didn't want to be. And well, and I think like you're, de- like you're describing, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah. That, that's kind of where my thought ended. I, I, I was really only just going to add that. Thank God that, that men like you made it out because it's a necessity well, so I, for, for that. Yeah. Guidance now. Yeah. And it's like, I think, I think what I've learned in, in sobriety is like, um, everybody on the planet, it's human nature has, has a certain advice, like whatever that may be. Right. Like some people go to the gym excessively, some people, uh, you know, they gamble or they, um, I don't know, they eat ice cream or listen to Sarah McLaughlin, you know, on repeat when they're sad, you know, whatever, like whatever that looks like for anybody. Um, I, I think people like me and like, you know, drug addicts and alcoholics, I think that we have found 
the blessing and the curse of like the ultimate escape. Like I found something that allowed me to escape reality yeah. um, and, and like find re uh, like a relief that I had never, I had never experienced, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and like, while in the beginning, yeah, I had a good time. I mean, I had fun when I was out partying and drinking and stuff. And, and, you know, before I got into heroin, I was just eating pills and, you know, shit like that. Um, I had fun, you know? Um, but that joy turned like what started out as like this joyous occasion, like intimacy with friends and like feeling like accepted and, and uh, you know, yeah. funny and, and, and all right. this stuff turned into like something almost fatal. I mean, um, oh. I still have pictures on my phone actually of like the times that I've overdosed and like wound up in the hospital. Oh. Um, it's just like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's baffling to think that something that brought me so much like relief and so much joy in the beginning could turn so, um, could turn so like disastrous that it almost like took my life like, yeah. a couple times. That's you know? the thing about the enemy, man. I always put it now in terms of uh, the enemy and the light, but the enemy yeah. will let you wander as far into his playground as you want to go. Mm -hmm. Have fun. That's where I want you. It's mm -hmm. that moment you try to turn it around that you start, you know, what drives a person to take a photo of their overdose? That's a fucking inherent need for reflection, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I did this. So I have to tell you, um, one of the, one of the key contributing. So, so when I went through my fall of self and began my process of rebuilding, I had to, as a, as a philosophical thinker, I had to accept that I was actively being saved. Uh, yes. I had like a full awareness of my own saving, my own soul's saving. And mm -hmm. at first I was kind of just, it, it seemed simple, like a switch from a negative attitude to a positive one, but it just became more than that, right? It was just overly positive and consistent yeah. and there. And it wasn't like when you're faking being positive and faking a smile, but it was just like there and filled. I mean, dude, I like parked my car and started walking everywhere. I was walking to my meetings. So I would leave Galena and walk all the mm -hmm. way into to downtown Reno. And I'll never forget one. The first time I made that walk actually. So I was seeing these, uh, these little green pluses in my mind that, that was very funny that those later became the dispensary things. Cause this is kind of before that. Um, <laughs> In fact, there's some Facebook postings. If you go back, you'll see I have a bunch of printouts of this green plus that I was envisioning and, and creating. And I met with a marketing friend of mine. And when I showed it to mm -hmm. her, she started grilling me. She's like, where did you get that? What have you seen? Where did you? I was like, I don't know what you, I've just been seeing it everywhere. I'm trying to tell you about my positive experience. She's like, what are you getting? To? Well, she was designing the thing at the fucking time. Really? Yeah. She was designing it for one of the dispensaries, which is why the, the grill fired up. And I had no idea. Uh, yeah. But I had seen this thing in my mind for about a year, right? And so this one particular day, I take off from Galena and I'm walking up and I get to around Patriot by the Burger King. Mm -hmm. And I happen to see a friend of mine who was like moving out of her apartment over there off of Patriot and nobody was helping her move. So I was like, fuck, I'll stop and help you move for a little bit. I left myself tons of time today. I'm walking a long way. Yeah, yeah. So I stopped and helped her throw a couch in and like her big stuff. And she was like, wow, thanks, man. Ah, that's so great. So I continue on my way and I'm walking down McCarran, kind of past the Lowe's and the Save Mart. And I'm heading for uh, uh, Lake Ridge and to go up, right? 
Easy. And as I'm going by, another friend riding by on his bicycle. I've known the guy for years, never seen him ride a bike, let alone in that area. I'd never seen him. It was totally random. And his hand just went up and mine went up and it was a high five on the way by and no words were spoken. <laughs> he kept riding, you know. So I just had this great day and I get all the way home and I'm sitting and I'm telling my roommate now about the green pluses and the moving and all this stuff. And I'm my foot's up on my knee and he goes, whoa, look at that. And I look and on the bottom of my fucking toms on the soles, it was green pluses all the way down the soles <laughs> of the fucking shoe. I'd never seen it before. So it, it sort of became this thing, right? I was like, okay, this is something different than that. And and then uh, uh, Christ just sort of identified himself for me. That's how it happened mm-hmm. for me, right? He, mm-hmm. he did a pretty good job letting me know who it was. Um, yeah. But, dude, that moment right there plays such a pivotal part in just allowing yourself to go back toward love. Yes. Uh, and, and that is when your addictions are going to try to grab you. And so... Yeah. As I'm going through this, uh, I reached this night, and it was a specifically horrible night, actually. Um, I had a big blowout on the phone with a mutual friend of ours's mother, and it was bad, man, because, like, I totally was in a messed up place. It was it was me that was making mistakes, right? But it, it, we were just kind of just like... So he had loaned me his, his 45, and uh, I'm sitting on the side of the bed. I'd, I'd hung up with this friend's mom, and uh, I'm sitting on the side of the bed, and I'm looking at my reflection in the in the sliding glass, and I'm kind of thinking, and I look down, and I see the pistol at the side of the bed, and I look at the glass, and I look at the pistol, and it just became like an option, you know? It wasn't like a big, yeah. like, oh, my God, I'm going to do this, write a note. I was like, sure. that's, that's one, that's possible. So I sure. pick it up. And I'm kind of playing with it and feeling the weight in my hand. And I pointed at the sliding glass door. I like pointed at myself playing, ha, 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 you know. And I, I pointed up towards my head, but I'm not looking at the sliding glass now when I mm-hmm. do this. And it, it's a subtle thing that I, I recognize now, but at the time I wouldn't have even thought about. But I mm-hmm. looked away. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, geez, that doesn't feel too offensive actually this would this would happen pretty quickly Uh, sure and so i start feeling my finger like become itchy right i'm kind of like how far will it go before it actually pulls playing that fucking game so i decide to take my phone out i'm like well actually i don't even feel sad at all so i take the phone out and i take i snap a selfie while i'm doing it right and i i put the gun down for a second because okay now i'm gonna look at the selfie for a second yeah and dude, it was the saddest guy I've ever seen, man. Yeah. I never seen such a sad guy walking around the earth thinking he's not sad, yeah. thinking it's all good, like literally reasoning out how to pull the trigger and like how yep. to make it an accident on yourself and just yep. insane how close you'll take it. And in that fucking moment, I heard my own voice in my head begin to speak. But I know for certain that it was him speaking to Mm -hmm. me through me. And he said, I have been with you for every good and horrible thing you've ever done. And if you do me like this, then what anything anyone says is true. I got goosebumps, dude. 
I never looked back, man. I, I never had the thought again. I understood the, the value of self. And it, it wouldn't be for another couple months that I'd really get what was happening because mm -hmm. it was actually the, the, the day I met my wife. I was in probably one of the worst moods I've, I've been in in this stuff. And uh, she came cruising through the door and it was fucking instant, man. Like I saw her face and I was like, holy shit, I have known that face for a million fucking years. But what yeah. actually went in my head, there, it is. there we go. It was, I just had this jackpot when she walked in and like, I had nothing to offer, no business trying to date anybody. My life was in as yeah. big of a ruin as it could have been, but I still did that Timberlake slide in front of her. Cause I was like, you know, as shitty of a guy as I am, I still think I'm the shit. So, hey girl, what's up? Uh, she shot me down for quite a few months. Sure. I broke her down in the end. <laughs> Real quick, because that was, I, I want to touch on like the, the story that you just told. Cause like that Please. was, uh, yeah. that's, it's, that's powerful stuff. I mean, that's like, uh, having an experience like that is, um, that was something that my, one of my first sponsors said to me, like when I was first coming into like recovery, um, that like almost made me cry. He was like, you know, God's not lost. We're lost. Right. We, it's, it's our, mm. it's our duty to like seek, seek him, you know? Mm -hmm. And like the, I found there's a, uh, Joe pug. I don't know if you ever listened to Joe pug. He's an artist, uh, musician. Mm. Um, there's a song called him one Oh one H Y M N. Um, and there's a line in there where he actually says, like, the more I seek, the more I'm sought. And I found that to mm. be true in like in a, in the spiritual realm or in the spiritual sense of like the more I the more I consistently seek this connection with like source, with God, with like with the universe, with whatever you want to call it, um, the more I am then sought out by other people to like be that uh, like a, a form of like guidance, right? Right. And I can I can remember like you know, we talked about like hitting, you know, what was, what was this bottom, right? Like what was this moment that I had this like epiphany or awakening that something needed to change? Cause I'd hit, I, I had hit like, I'd hit physical bottoms. I'd hit, you know, financial bottoms. I'd hit, you know, emotional bottoms, stuff like that. All, you know, almost every day, like routinely I hit a financial bottom, right? Yeah. Always found a way to get dope, whatever. Yep. Um, That's a, I, that, I, I want to isolate that statement for a second, just so the listeners that hear this mm -hmm. really every day I would hit financial bottom. Yeah. I mean, that's a tremendously powerful way to look at that, man. Like I'm at my oh, rock yeah. bottom daily and then I do every just single. enough to get off bottom and fall there mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Every single day, every single day it was like uh, on a hamster wheel. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, can't, can't ever quite catch up. And like, but I can remember like near the end of my, the end of my last like run, um, the history channel did a, did a show called the Bible. Right. And it was uh, like a five part mini series every Sunday for like five weeks, two hours every Sunday. And like, I would sit in my room and like, I don't, you know, if you're not familiar with it, like it's, you don't cry. Like you don't have emotions when you're on heroin. Like you just, you don't right. cry. You don't feel anything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I would sit, I would sit in my room and I would walk, I would, you know, I'd get high and I would watch this show and I would just weep every fucking Sunday. I would just weep because like that, that was my experience of like that voice telling you that like, I'm here, I'm still here. Right. Yeah. I haven't left you. I'm not going to, what are we going to do next? You mm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then like, and then, you know, I, I overdosed for the last time and wound up in the hospital. And then like the next day I woke up and my parents were, 
in you know at my bedroom door with my whole family and like you don't really don't have a choice anymore like <laughs> you're you're getting on a plane uh or you're or you know here's all your stuff you're either going on the street or you're getting on a plane um to florida and like that's just that's all there is to it so um well good choice yeah well I just kind of, <laughs> again like it was it was either like you know live on you know live yeah. at, at para live at para park or uh you know, or go to Florida where I can get, you know, a couple of meals. And I, you know, I was just done, man. I, I had had like, I still wanted to get high. I still wanted to use, I didn't, I didn't want to get help necessarily, Yeah. but I knew that I knew that I didn't want to keep living how I was living. I knew that I knew that much. Mm-hmm. And like, so that story you tell about having like the gun to your head and stuff, it's like every single time that I got high, like that was like, that, yes. that was my thought. I was like, if this takes me out, good fine there would be times that i'd wake up in the hospital and i would like tell my i'd tell my mom like you should have just left me on the fucking floor why why are we here again doing this like just fucking leave me there and you we, know we think to ourselves at least you wouldn't have to deal with me then it, it, exa- yeah and it's that's that was my selfish like mindset at the time was like this is it'd be easier on you it'd be easier on everybody if if, if you just left me there just leave me there you know yeah. um not, you know, not knowing that every time I left the house, like they, you know, she'd, you know, crumble on the couch and cry. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just, I was, you know, I, I was, yeah, I was very, very, very selfish, but, um, yeah, that's so an I interesting th- observation too, because, you know, it's, it's really a sick cycle because ultimately the drugs are what is to blame. They are the worst part of the cycle, but the person mm-hmm. that's using has to see the selfishness in it if they're going to oh, find yeah. their way out. And, and we don't for years. I didn't see like, I'll tell you what, actually. So, uh, I was 60 days sober mm-hmm. and I was living in, I was living in the halfway house down here. And, and, um, now mind you, like before I came down to Florida, my last overdose was, I was in my parents' bathroom. I got high, fell out. I woke up in the, in the family room with like paramedics all over me and hit me with Narcan and, and, you know, in the back of the ambulance and off to the hospital. Um, but my mom had to get the neighbor who was a nurse to break the door down. Um, cause she was there by herself and like give me chest compressions and CPR until the, until the medics got there. And then, you know, you know, and here I am today. Right. But, um, so I'm 60 days wow. sober now. I'm, I'm not, I'm not there for that experience. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm unconscious. I don't know what's going on. Right. Um, so I'm 60 days sober. I'm in my halfway house and the guy that lived next door to me, um, I'm in the parking lot one day, like, you know, chain smoking cigarettes, like a degenerate, you know? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, um, the, a couple of guys from like, from his, from this kid's apartment come out and they're like, you know, you know, Kyle needs help. Like, I, I don't know what's going on, but he's like, not conscious. He's not responsive. So I run into the apartment and like, you know, I've worked in the hospital before I, you know, I've, so I started giving the kids CPR and, um, I'm watching like his, I'm watching his, like his head jerk back and forth as I'm doing chest compressions. And like, um, just his skin was like gray and like ashen. Mm. Um, his lips were fucking blue mm. and like the cops showed up, paramedics showed up and like, we all left the room. And, um, I remember going to bed that night and like, I'm, I'm picturing like every time I close my eyes, I'm picturing like that, that clonic, uh, 
motion that mm. very like that mm-hmm. almost seizure like motion of his head mo- jerking back and forth mm-hmm. from the chest compressions and i'm thinking like this is what my fucking mother had to watch when oh. like when i od'd right like that's what my mom had to see and i could i had never seen it from that angle before i'd never seen it every time i every time i od'd like I just got high and woke up in the hospital and like was confused about how I got there. I had no, like I had no insight into like what it took to actually get me there. You know what I mean? Like my dad, my dad carrying me out to the, to the truck and throwing me in the bed of the truck and driving me to the ER or the ambulance come, the, the, you know, the, the paramedics coming in and, um, yeah, shooting Narcan at my nose and having me wake up like violently and, and, you know, screaming at everybody. And then to sit in the hospital room and tell my mother, you should have left me on the fucking floor. Right. Uh, that was, you know, when I had that experience, like when I, you know, when, when that kid, uh, when I gave him CPR, that was like, um, that was a big eye opener for me because I finally saw it from a different perspective. Yeah. Addicts and alcoholics, people in general are, are usually like pretty selfish, you know, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the first time that I had really, I was, I had empathy for, I didn't feel sorry for them anymore. I felt what they felt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was like, it was extremely powerful. And uh, yeah, man, that stuck, that stuck with me for like a long time. So the, um, you got to kind of live in both realms that God has mm-hmm. to offer, to be honest, man, uh, or the source yeah. or whatever you want to call yeah. it. I mean, you yeah, you absolutely. got to, side, to see the side of death from both direct front row seats. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't know, man. It's been, it's been a wild experience. So, like, the question that you asked about, like, how— um, how do I get down here and how would one get down here? Should they were, should they be looking for or in need of, um, treatment like that? Um, they like for our facility, basically we have an admissions director. His name's Connor. Um, he, you know, he, he's one of the guys that like the founding four, I guess. Um, you know, he feels all the phone calls and, and does all the pre-assessments and stuff over the phone the what the treatment plan looks like essentially is like beyond all the intake you know bullshit like the you know signing all the paperwork and everything um we really believe in like trying to meet people where they're at you know yeah um so many times i've been to treatment and i've kind of been i've had one one form or another one method or another kind of like shoved down my throat that this is what you have to do to get sober and like a, a, a achieve like long-term sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more that happened to me, uh, the more I rebelled against that, like that established thought, you know what I mean? Like they wanted me to go to AA meetings. I was like, Nope, not doing that. I don't need it. Right. They wanted me yeah. to go to church. Yeah. Nope, not doing that. Don't need it. Right. I had to get a, I had to have like enough consequences like and hit that, you know, hit that spiritual bottom mm-hmm. of like, all right, I'm at least willing to acknowledge that I got to do something different. Um, but I, you know, I, I like, I don't ever try to cram that stuff down anyone's throat. Like there are, yeah. there, there are plenty of different ways to get sober. I mean, beyond just like the AA, NA, CA, 12 step fellowships, like there's smart recovery, celebrate recovery. People get, re- people get sober through like religious, uh, religious practices, whatever Christian or otherwise, you know, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Find yourself a gym that just really has a kick ass support group. Yeah, exactly. Dude. They're like, I've, I've known kids down here that, so there's a CrossFit gym that's run by guys in recovery and it's, it's completely free. Um, 
the only requirement is that you're, you know, that you're actively involved in like in uh, recovery. You know what I mean? That you've been sober and, and, and that's, you're, you're going to maintain sobriety. Um, I've known kids that have gotten sober just through that, just through finding like uh, value in themselves. Cause it's an aspect of self-love. It's an aspect of like self-love that we didn't have before. Um, so again, like whatever it looks like, whether it is like working out, you know, going to meetings, doing therapy, like anything like that. We have, um, we have five therapists here. All of them are trained in like EMDR and trauma, um, you know, building healthy relationships. We have the clinical piece covered, um, the medical piece as well. You know, we have, it's not about, you go to any treatment center, you're going to find a good doctor, a good therapist, you know, and like good, you know, good staff that work there. Right. They, they, you know, they don't employ shitheads. They just don't. Um, the, the modalities that we're trying to change is kind of the stigma of like a maintenance related drugs. Like, uh, so like suboxone maintenance Mm -hmm. has been kind of heavily frowned upon, at least in my, in the world down here in Florida. Um, it's just been stigmatized that like, Oh, you're not sober if you're on suboxone. Mm. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, our philosophy kind of is, Listen, if the kid who is just like, you know, stealing from his family and overdosing and stealing from Walmart and in and out of jail, yeah. if he, you know, if he's on Suboxone and he has a job and he's going to work and he's saving money and he has like relationships and people yeah. in his life, who the fuck am I to say yes. that, that, he, that this is wrong just because, just because I've heard it from other sober people that like, oh, Suboxone's bad. So, well, um, now what are they trying to say that, that, that there's still a substance involved there? Yes. Or? Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That you're, that you're still using a substance. It's a crutch. Like it's blocking you off from like a spiritual experience. I don't know, man. I, I've, I've, <laughs> I had a spiritual experience when I was high. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't yeah, think, yeah, I, know. I don't think, think when he wants are, to find you, he's going to find you. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't yeah. think that, I don't think that like we are inherently averse to like being, open to um like some kind of spiritual experience what like in whatever capacity it is at whatever time in our lives whatever substance is involved my judgment has been clouded a lot more uh, through a lot more than just drugs you know what i mean yeah Um, and and i'll tell you we give a person with a broken leg a crutch mm -hmm. they're not going to use the crutch forever necessarily and they might If their leg is Mm -hmm. broken in such a way that they need a crutch for life, why are we going to be a purist about this? That's kind of, I get it because some people maybe couldn't do that. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that if they've got the suboxone, that's going to make them want something else. But those are the people they have to know for themselves that suboxone is not for them. I think that's, you know, the accountability side of this is every bit as important. We can, you know, I think if the center is getting people in a place where they're holding it down, Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you encourage that. And that's the goal. That's the goal that we have for everybody really that does enter. Like, obviously we don't, we, it's not something that we encourage. If you come in and you're like, I don't want to be on, you know, suboxone maintenance, whatever. Great. I, we don't want you to be on suboxone maintenance either. Right. But if you, you know, if you meet the necessary criteria um, to be on it and like, you're, you know, you're still experiencing like heavy cravings and stuff like that. Like that is an option that we are more than, more than willing to, um, to implement. Um, 
should that be necessary but like the goal is always all right this is a short-term thing this is not you're not going to be on this forever we're going to do this for a couple weeks and then we'll start to taper you down and then a couple weeks on the on the lower dose and then taper you down again um it's kind of getting over that hump of like I don't know. My experience in treatment especially is like, all right, the first week that I'm in detox, I barely get out of bed because I don't feel good. The next two weeks after that, I'm literally like so miserable and still experiencing like like post-acute withdrawals that like you're lucky if I speak during group, you know what I mean? Yeah. I might, I might draw some pictures and like talk to my therapist, but I'm not going to engage heavily in my treatment. Cause I'm yep. still like, I'm still, I still kind of have the attitude of like, <laughs> fuck this you know yeah i'm gonna be um, out of here in two weeks finding my exactly, old circle don't exactly. worry yep the, it's like it's like the last week the last week of treatment is like where you finally start to maybe absorb some of the stuff that you're hearing and by then it's like too late because you're going home and you're going home in four days and you know you're now you're battling back and forth with all right do i get high when i get home do i drink when i get home or do i stay sober and more often than not it's like I know what's easy. I know what's comfortable and I'm going to go right back to it. So yeah. this is like, let's get them over that like couple week hump where they're not willing to engage because they don't feel good. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, let's get them over that hump. And you know, our program lasts anywhere from six months to a year. So it's like, you'll have plenty of time to, um, experience like the highs and the lows in a structured environment. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we help facilitate, like you, you know, build your resume, help you get a job. Um, and you're living in a, you're living in our, in our like sober living pretty much the entire time. Um, so that you, you never lose touch with like the fellowship. You never lose touch with the staff. You never mm -hmm. lose touch with your therapist or the doctor, all those protective factors are in place so that when you do leave, you've got six, seven, eight months under your belt and, uh, you know, a job and you can, get an apartment or you can, you know, whatever the case may be, like get a roommate, Amazing. something like that. Um, and it's, it's so much less about just eliminating the drugs. Like that's the right. easiest part of it is eliminating the drugs. The hardest part of it is overcoming those like mental blank spots. Yeah. Of, you got to rebuild I, all that foundation. Yes. Yep. That's I really want to get high. How am I not going to get high? Yeah, buddy. You're dead right about that. Wow, man. Uh, that's pretty incredible. I, I would love to see that appear in Reno and I, I, man, I would be a part of that in any way, shape or form. What I'll do is I'll send you the link to our website so you can like kind of just look it over. Um, but also like when we start actually making the plans to, you know, to infiltrate uh, out farther West. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I'd come, I'd come out and visit, like get on the show again, whatever, whatever I can do. To, like, That'd be great get, you know, get the awareness out that there is, um, you know, if you're suffering, yeah, you don't have to, I mean, there, there's, there's plenty of stuff, whether it's, whether it's our facility or not, like I'm even open to like people calling for other, you know, other places, like just get, just get me help. I'm, I'm, I'm down to help whoever I can, however I can. Well, you're awesome, man. Jared Deciano, I really appreciate you coming on. Tell us the name of your <laughs> facility. Drop the website for us one more time. Yeah, the, the facility is called Harm Reduction Center, and the website is harmreductioncenter.com. And yeah, man, it's been, uh, it's great. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I hope, yeah, I hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, we most definitely will. This is a, a very cool, it's a very highly necessary thing in our society. It's, you're doing it right. Uh, I, I can't imagine a better person for it. And, and 
thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, absolutely, man. Thank you so much for your time, Brandon. I'll talk to you soon, but thank you.